Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. If you have a Bible, just take a turn for me and read to Let's go ahead and stand if you could, and you're able to. I just want to read a few verses this morning. We're going to be in the whole chapter and walking through it. Let's go ahead and read the first few verses of chapter 2. I said in my heart, again, this is Solomon, the, the teacher. He's instructing his son. He's instructing all of us today this powerful lesson. I said in my heart... Go to now, I will prove thee. What he's saying is I will test thee. I, I have an experiment that I've been doing uh, with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. So, it's interesting. Before he even gives us the details, he kind of sets it up for us and says, everything that I pursued is vanity, which means it's meaningless, it's pointless, it's useless, and then he's going to unlock the principles for us this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I pray that you be with us this morning for the next few minutes as we study your word. And Lord, even this week and the past several weeks and months as I've been preparing for this series, and I believe you've laid it on my heart, Lord, you've opened my eyes up to some things in my own life that I think so often I, I pursue those ahead of you. And it's not wrong to find pleasure in this life. We're, we're supposed to find pleasure. You created us for pleasure. God, apart from you, as Solomon is instructing us, it's all meaningless. And Lord, I pray that there is someone here today that has never trusted you as their Savior, that today might be the day. I, I dare say there are people here that have been coming to this church for a while, or maybe today is the first day, that have never put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, there will come a day when we'll stand before you. Whether we die and go to heaven and, and stand before you and you accept us into your, your kingdom because we've asked you to forgive us of our sins and save you, or save us or we've rejected you and you cast us off into hell, or you come back or there's going to come a day when we all stand before you, and help us to realize that this life is just temporary it's fleeting we're not living for this life we're living for what's to come and Lord, for the next few minutes I pray that you help us to understand these very important principles and truths from your word Heavenly Father, I love you, cast them up Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Matt Chandler points out that so many people subscribe to the philosophy that what will ultimately satisfy us is more of what we already have. Now let me say that again, and I want to unpack that principle for just a minute or two this morning to kind of set the stage. All of us, or many of us, subscribe to the philosophy that what will ultimately satisfy us is more of what we already have. Now think about this for a minute. Think about the time in your life that you begged God for something. Uh, think about the time in your life that you didn't have a job. You begged God for a job. You got a job. And you found out that that was the end-all, be-all. You were satisfied with life after that job, right? Maybe for a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months. But eventually what happened? You became dissatisfied. You needed a better job. You begged God for a job, he gave you a job, but that job wasn't enough. You needed a better job. You begged God for more money, he gave you more money, but eventually that wasn't enough. You needed more money. You begged God for a car, he gave you a car. That wasn't enough. So what I'm saying is, we subscribe to this philosophy that 
what's going to satisfy us is more of what we already have. Well, that's not fully true because just more of what we already have isn't going to satisfy us. We're going to unlock that principle as we continue on this morning. And most of us think that, man, if, if I'm going to be happy in my life, I need fill in the blank. And I know we're in church today and we don't get all spiritual, but most of us would fill in the blank with a lot of other things but God. And I say that knowing 100% sure that many of us would do that because just look at our lives. Look at what we're chasing after. Look at what we're pursuing after. You know, maybe it's that next raise, that next promotion, that next job, that next house, that next relationship. Whatever it is, we're pursuing after something that we feel is going to make us happy. But I'm here to tell you, as Solomon has already told us, life under the sun, you're not going to find true, lasting satisfaction, happiness with anything on this earth apart from Jesus Christ. You know, we think we need more until we get more and realize it's not enough. And I've been there many times. Because nothing ultimately satisfies us. John Corson makes a statement. He says, our Constitution tells us we are guaranteed the rights to pursue happiness. And there's nothing wrong with pursuing happiness. Yet as wonderful as that sounds politically, it is disastrous in reality. For happiness will never be found by those who pursue it. Happiness is an elusive butterfly. The more you chase it, the quicker it flies away. Because there's always something next. And really, as Ecclesiastes points out, what we are doing is chasing after the wind. If we had a bubble machine, we're chasing after bubbles. We catch it, they pop, and then we have to go to the next bubble, the next bubble, the next bubble. Nothing apart from Jesus truly satisfies us. And in this chapter, these first two chapters really go hand in hand, really together. What Solomon does is he, he shows us three specific things in his life that he was pursuing after. Let's go ahead and start unlocking those principles this morning. The first thing is this, the pursuit of pleasure. The pursuit of pleasure. Follow along with me, verses 1 through 11. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove, I will test thee with mirth, therefore also enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity, it's meaningless. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, alcohol, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, that I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do unto the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I built me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to, to water there with the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and, and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possession of great and small cattle, above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold, and the peculiar treasures of kings of the provinces. I gathered me men singers and women singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all the that were before me. I was more popular than anyone else in Jerusalem at that time that ever lived up until that time. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever my mind desired, I kept not from it. I took whatever I wanted, is basically what he said. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, all my work, 
and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and all the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, it was purposeful. Is that what he says? Oh, behold, it was vanity. It was meaningless. It was worthless. And vexation of the Spirit is like chasing the wind. And there was no profit under the sun. Here's what Solomon, in a sense, is saying in these verses. I'm going to test pleasure. I'm going to see if pleasure ultimately satisfies. And we've got to think about Solomon's life. As I set the stage a little bit last week, understand that Solomon was the man that had everything. His net worth was north of $2 trillion in today's society. That's a lot of money. He's a man that literally could have anything and everything he wanted. A lot of times I think we look at certain people, individuals, celebrities, sports stars. Man, if I had their wealth, I could do whatever I wanted. Solomon had more wealth than any of those people, and he did whatever he wanted. But he's telling us that all of it is pointless. All of it is meaningless. And really what Solomon is doing here, he is turning to pleasure, or what we may call today, as hedonism. A hedonist is someone whose chief goal in life is pleasure or happiness. There is a self-styled group called Hedonist International, and they use the following phrase as their official motto. Do what you like, not what you must. Do what you like, not what you must. Now, if, if I subscribe to that philosophy, and I think there's been times in my life where I have, you know what I would do? I would do more of this. I like to golf. I like to golf, but I can't always golf because I don't have enough money to golf. You think about the pleasure, there's nothing wrong with pleasures, but this hedonist philosophy is do what you like, not what you must. You must work to pay for the things that you enjoy. You must work to provide for your house, to provide for all kinds of things. If, if it was just about what I like to do, I'd be golfing all the time, I'd be taking vacations all the time, I'd be taking cruises all the time. I mean, who's with me, right? Most people would like to do that, but there are certain people in today's society that that's what they do. And that's what Solomon was saying here. I pursued all of that. I pursued this innocent, this hedonistic lifestyle. He subscribed to that philosophy of eat, drink, be merry. That's the attitude. And before he even gives the details, again in verse number one, he says, hey, it's all vanity. It's all worthless. You know, many people today say things like, well, I just want to be happy. And then you have others say, well, well, just do what makes you feel happy. Do what, what you think is good. Well, that's a wrong philosophy for life. You know, I've been guilty of saying that to people. Well, just do what makes you feel happy. Well, you do what makes you feel happy, and I guarantee you, as Solomon has already told us, it's not going to make you happy. Because then you're going to be wanting more, and more, and more, and more. How many of ever that have raised kids, you've tried to instruct your children not to do certain things because you've messed up in a certain aspect? Anybody? And wouldn't you love it if they just listened to you the first time? And if, if your kids ever did just listen to you the first time and all the time, please let's have a talk because I need some help in that area. But most of us, you know, we instruct our children, hey, don't make the same foolish mistake that I made. But the kids, they think they know what's best, right? Because I was that kid that I thought I knew what was best me. My parents are fools. They don't know what they're talking about. My dad doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to live life the way that I want to live. And Solomon, he's been through it all. He's done it all. He's instructing his son and us today. Don't do it. And it would be nice if we just listened to this. 
It would be great if I preached this message in this series and people were like, man, Pastor, I am going to listen to exactly what you said. There are some that I believe will. But there are many that, you know, that's really not for me. I think I know what's best. And I'm going to chase after those things. But it's not going to bring you happiness. It's only going to bring more destruction. And here's, here's the principles that he's unlocking in this pursuit of pleasure. First of all, he starts with alcohol and laughter. In verses 1 through 3. Alcohol, <coughs> wine, laughter. These are two sources of pleasure that were used for his experiment. Now, uh, you don't have to go back there and turn with me. But back in 1 Kings chapter 4, it's very interesting to understand the kind of lifestyle that Solomon lived. Remember, Solomon had more money than most people could ever dream of. Most countries have. He had that much money, as I said. Uh, as I uh, researched it a couple weeks ago, again, it's, it's just an estimation. But north of $2 trillion, he's one of the five richest people that have ever lived on this planet. All the wealth that he had, I mean, you, you could do anything and everything you wanted. Now, many of us have, have, have partied. We've been to parties, and you know, we've, we've just you know, lived up and everything like that. It's nothing in comparison to what Solomon did. Let me, let me just explain quickly. First Kings chapter 4, it says, And Solomon's provisions for one day was 30 measures of fine flour, three score measures of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 oxen out of the pasture, so pasture-fed oxen, 100 sheep besides hearts or gazelles and robots and fallow deer and fatted fowl or chickens. So this was all for one day's worth of party. And the commentaries that I read said that there were probably as many as 20,000 plus people at some of these parties. So imagine, you're at a party with 20,000 of your closest friends. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be a lot of food there, right? There's going to be a lot of stuff. This was Solomon's lifestyle. It wasn't like, hey, we have a party and we have like 10 people over. No, he had a party and this was like, it's Trump, Mega Monday, Fat Thursday, Fat Tuesday, all of those things. I mean, it trumped them all. He had anything and everything that he wanted. I mean, we went on a cruise a couple weeks ago and it was great and we ate very well. But this was Solomon's life every day. Every day he had whatever he wanted. He turned to alcohol. So many people today turn to alcohol. And man, alcohol is really going to, to satisfy you, or it's going to take the pain away. Now it might take the pain away temporarily. But if you continue pursuing after alcohol, it's just going to leave you devastated. And what we don't see a lot of times in those commercials is people that are hungover, keeping their guts out on the toilet. You know, the, the devastation that it brings to a family because they're beating each other. We don't talk about that. But Solomon pursued after this. He also pursued after laughter. And look, laughter is not bad. I'm sure he probably had all the best comedians in that day come and, and, and make a lot of things and just have a good time. You know, I, I, I love comedians and some of the Christian comedians. I think Tim Hawkins is one of my favorites. And, and I love, you know, his, his bits on uh, Chick-fil-A. You know, I love Chick-fil-A. And, and I was thinking about this last night. Even the, um, uh, the biscuits, I think I've shared this before, the biscuits from uh, uh, Cracker Barrel. You know, he's like, man, they're so good they make you want to slap your mom. You know, that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty funny. I don't know if they're that good. I don't know if I ever want to slap my mom just because they ate a biscuit. But there's nothing wrong with laughter. Laughter is a great uh, help when, when you're struggling, but you can't just laugh all the time. Eventually, the laughter is going to cease, right? And then what happens once the laughter ceases? If you've had pain and tragedy and struggles in your life, it pops back up. So Solomon is saying, that, you know what? I started and I pursued after alcohol. I pursued after laughter. 
Now, laughter can momentarily distract us from real pain, but it cannot overcome it. And that's important. It can momentarily distract us, and there's nothing wrong with laughter. The Bible says, a joyful heart, a merry heart, do good like a medicine. It's good to laugh and not just cry all the time. It's good to laugh, but it cannot overcome our problems. Today's world is pleasure mad. Millions of people pay almost any amount of money to buy experiences, to temporarily escape the burdens of life. Again, are you saying, Pastor, it's, it's wrong to do those things? It's wrong to go to games? No, no, I'm not saying that at all. But when that is our ultimate pursuit, it is wrong. Warren Wearsby said, when pleasure alone is the center of life, the result will ultimately be disappointment and emptiness. Disappointment and emptiness. Why? Because pleasure becomes a selfish endeavor. And selfishness destroys true joy. You end up with broken relationships and an empty heart. Study the book of Proverbs and you'll find that to be true. Well, entertainment is great, but it's only a temporary escape. So he talks about, first of all, he pursued pleasure. In his first pursuit of pleasure, he looked at alcohol and laughter. And then he goes on, verse number four. He talks about his accomplishments. Did anybody ever accomplish anything in this, this church? I think all of us have. Whether it's something small like, hey, I finished the laundry. That's an accomplishment, right? For some women, it's a very big accomplishment. We've all accomplished something. But again, our accomplishments pale in comparison to Solomon's accomplishments. You know, I've got my own accomplishments. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I wrecked all the leaves up. I didn't bag them, but I wrecked them up. It's a big accomplishment. Didn't finish anything, but I accomplished something. Uh, last night, I, I, I brought the tree down. It's about all I did, but I brought the tree down from the attic. I accomplished something. But here's the thing. So many times we get busy in life working on all kinds of projects. And Solomon's going to be talking about his great works. Look at verse number four. I made me great works. And he, and he lists off some of these great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards and planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. Now, if you ever planted a garden, that's, that's a big accomplishment. But if you like comparing, like, hey, Solomon, I planted a garden. I had like three tomato plants. He's like, oh, that's cool. I planted a horse. Like, it, it pales in comparison. Again, I'm not discounting our accomplishments, but he's, he's listing his accomplishments, and he's going to say that even my accomplishments don't measure up, don't give me ultimate satisfaction. He built houses. You know, Solomon was the, was the key uh, contractor, the key uh, person in charge of building of the temple. It was something that David, his father, had wanted to start, but God told him not to, and, and David had already had a lot of the plans made up, and, and the temple was very ornate, very beautiful, one of the seven ancient wonders of the ancient world. And Solomon's temple, I think it took like seven years to build. That's a long time to build. But he also built houses. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 7 that his own house took 13 years to build. He wanted it to be perfect. 2 Chronicles chapter 8 says he even built cities. I know some of the kids have built cities on like Minecraft or Fortnite or whatever those things are. But again, that even pales in comparison to the actual cities that Solomon built. He had his own water system to provide for all of this stuff. I mean, irrigation and everything. It was pretty amazing, pretty impressive. 
So what Solomon is saying, hey, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Let's continue on, verse number 7. I got me servants and maidens, and having servants born in my house. I had slaves and slaves of slaves and slaves of slaves of slaves. Again, some references and commentaries say that he had upwards to 30,000 employees. Could you imagine that? 30,000 employees under his head. That's a lot of people working for him. <laughs> because he could do anything and everything that he wanted. So now he's talking about his acquisitions. Solomon had more flocks and herds than any person before him in Jerusalem. He had more money. He accumulated great wealth. He also, he loved art and music. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, today, you know, we like music. What we're going to do is we're going to buy the song or purchase the album on, you know, Apple or Amazon or Spotify or something like that. Well, Solomon went above that. He's like, I'm going to purchase the band. Because he had men singers and women singers. He had all these people coming together because this is what brings me satisfaction. This is what brings me ultimate happiness. Verse number 9, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. I still have my wisdom. And whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I took whatever I wanted. Nothing was withheld from me. I was held not my heart from any joy. My heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was a portion of all my labor. Then I looked on the works that my hands had wrought and the labor that I labored to do. And behold... This also was vanity and vexation of the Spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. He denied himself of nothing. He talks about in these passages about the pleasures of men. What he's talking about is the wives and the women, the concubines that he had. As I referenced last week, over a thousand women. He had his choice of fine wine and fine women. But he's saying, you know what, it's not enough. It doesn't really satisfy it brings temporary satisfaction, but not ultimate satisfaction. You see, our pursuit of pleasure only leaves us more unsatisfied. And I've got my trophies up here again from last week. And the thing is, these trophies, they, they were nice. And I'm not saying it's, we shouldn't try our best and try to win things. That's not what I'm saying, but 25 years later, it's not like, man, I am satisfied that I was the Center Grove Little League single A division champion. Thank you, too. It means nothing. It's meaningless. And that's what Solomon is saying. I don't have all of them up here. I've got a lot more at home and a lot more at my house and where my parents live. But uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, I had an opportunity my, uh, my my basketball team. We won the Christian School State Championship. That was a huge deal. That is a huge deal. I mean, my name is on a banner in my school. I'm sure every time those kids go to school at Suburban uh, Christian School, they look at my name and say, man, Chris Thorne is awesome. I'm sure they say that. Probably not. They're like, who is that? probably going to look at it, but it's meaningless. It's worthless in the realm of all eternity. Okay, that's great that I wanted at that time, but it's worthless. You see, indulging under the sun leads to brokenness. Pleasure is not evil. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Pleasure is not evil. I believe God created us for pleasure, but a good thing, get this, turned into a God thing, becomes an enslaving thing. A good thing turned into a God thing becomes an enslaving thing. Like Pascal, philosopher in the 1600s, said, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. 
Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it. It's the same desire in both. Attended with different views. They will never uh, take the least steps but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. But what he says is that all seek happiness, without exception. But as he described later in some of his books and philosophy, it's, it's pointless. Same thing that Solomon had said. I, I came across an illustration this morning about pleasure. I want to I share it. How many have ever surfed? Anybody ever surfed? I've never surfed. We've got a couple people who have surfed. Uh, I've done, you know, boogie boards, wakeboards, stuff like that. It's not the same. But surfers, they say, enjoy temporary pleasure. They, they wait out. They catch a wave. They stand up, and for a few seconds, they ride away that that is very thrilling for that moment. But a water sphere is different. They're holding on to a boat that is pulling them. While the surfer is dependent upon their own ability to stay afloat, a water sphere can ride all day if they choose because they are not dependent on their own ability to find and stay afloat of a temporary way. Satan wants to take a serpent, this author says. He'll give us a great wave too. Even if he can't knock us off, and get us addicted to some kind of pleasure, he's just as happy to get us sidetracked to enjoy its short-lived effect. He'd love to keep us sidetracked by having all of us fall into this pattern of continually searching for the next wave of pleasure. I want an illustration. That's what we do. We're searching for that next wave of pleasure. Again, nothing wrong with golf or seeking after things or enjoying it. Enjoyment and entertainment, there's nothing wrong with that, but how often do we do that? This is going to bring satisfaction. As I said last week, then I had an opportunity finally three years ago when broke my best score, broke 70, and that's awesome. But you know what? Didn't leave me like didn't didn't leave me like, hey, I'm validated. My life is complete now. Because the next week I'm like, I gotta do better. And then I did far worse. Because it's meaningless. And the principle that Solomon is getting at here is this: pleasure is meaningless. Pleasure is meaningless. He's telling us it's empty. It's worthless. It's meaningless. Because the problem is we settle for temporary fleeting pleasure instead of soul-satisfying eternal pleasures. He continues on in verse number 12. Not only did he pursue after pleasure, the second thing he pursues after is wisdom. Verse 12. And then I turned myself to the whole wisdom and madness and folly. And what can the man do that cometh after the king? Even that which hath been already done. Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly. What he's saying is, wisdom is far better than foolishness. As far as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then said in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then even more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. The, the one event he's talking about is death. It's that great equalizer for all men. It doesn't matter if you're wise. It doesn't matter if you're foolish. Death is going to catch up to you. That's what the Bible says, and that's what Solomon realized. This also is vanity. Verse 16, for there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Now you think about that. Now we have books written about people you know, about people that have been great in history and society, and, and there are certain individuals that we might remember more than others, but 
The point Solomon is making, you know, they're not part of our continuous conversation. I'm not always talking about George Washington. Now, there's a lot of good things written about George Washington, a lot of great things for our country, but I'm not always talking about George Washington because he's passed on. I might remember him at times when I see a picture or, you know, some individual passes on, and that's fine, but what Solomon is saying is that ultimately what's going to happen is you're not going to remember. As I made the, the comment last week, I mean, how do you remember your, your great, great, great grandfather's name? It was like two or three people. Because what happens is they pass on and then they're forgotten. It's that vicious cycle of life. So he's saying, you know, what, what good is it to pursue wisdom? Both the wise and the fool die, so what's the point? They're both forgotten. Now this is an important side note. Wisdom still is far greater than foolishness, as he already alludes to. Now the side note with wisdom is, wisdom doesn't always work out immediately, does it? But it will ultimately work out. Here's what I mean. Let's, let's reference this as being a steward of, let's say, our money and our resources and our finances. You make some wise investments. It doesn't always pay dividends the next day, does it? No. Sometimes it might take years. Right, Stephanie? It may take a long time. But eventually, ultimately, if you've been wise with your money, with your resources, it will pay off. But our philosophy is that I have to pursue after wisdom because wisdom is better. But Solomon is saying, it doesn't matter if you're a wise person. It doesn't matter if you're a fool. It's all meaningless. It's all pointless. And Solomon struggles, why be wiser if it doesn't work out? You see, in our society, what we want is vindication, justification. We want, we want things to work out the way that we feel like they should work out. Here's what I mean. Uh, growing up, uh, playing sports, you know, uh, we're all taught, man, you've got to respect your coach. You've got to do what you're supposed to be doing. You've got to go to practices and show up on time and get your best. And those are important things. Don't get me wrong. But it, always doesn't, it doesn't always work out the way that we think it should. Because life isn't fair, is it? Under the curse, life isn't fair. There's so many illustrations I could use, but uh, several years ago, back in 2014-2015, the football season, NFL, there's a player named LeGarrette Blount. He played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he got so mad that he wasn't receiving the playing time that he thought he should receive, that before the game was even over, he walked off the field. And then, they cut him the next day. And you know what happened? Another team picked him up, called the New England Patriots. And he ended up winning a Super Bowl that year. So people are like, why even try? Why even do good if if I can just do whatever I want and be rewarded for it. I've had that attitude before. Why even try if, if all of my efforts are pointless when this person is living however they want and it seems like they can get whatever they want? Now we'll look more to that in later messages. But the point Solomon is making is even the pursuit of wisdom is meaningless. And look at verse number 17. He kind of sums it all up. Therefore, because of my wisdom, because of all of the knowledge that I had, I loved life. Is that what he said? No, what's he say? I hated life. <laughs> the wisest, richest man that ever lived at this time said, I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all his vanity, all his pointless, all his meaningless, and vexation of the spirit. Yea, hated all my labor which was taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto man that shall be after me. 
In one of the books that I was reading, it talks about how he hated life. Verse number 20, it says, Therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair. Solomon had two identifiable problems regarding busyness. His busyness was perpetual and pointless. The author says this, Perpetual business, busyness never ceases. There's always more to do, isn't there? There's always more to do. To be sure, labor is biblical. God calls us to work, but not perpetually. You see, perpetual business, busyness is destructive. And I want to read this. A busy life, get this, apart from Jesus, is vanity and vexation of the Spirit. A purposeful life with Jesus is valuable, meaningful, joyful. Christless busyness is insatiable, which means it never ends, it's never satisfying. But Christ-centered, balanced busyness is biblical. But so many people are pursuing after a life of busyness that I need more, I have to do more to get more, but it's not going to leave you satisfied, which leads us to the third pursuit. Not only is there a pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of wisdom, but finally we see this pursuit of work. Ian Proven calls this section the confession of the workaholic. And there's probably many people in here today that are workaholics. They cannot take a break because they have more to do. Look, there's always more to do, right? There's always more to do around the house. You go to work, you come home, and like, man, I've got more to do. There's always more to do. There are times when you look and you finish something, man, I'm satisfied with that. I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, you work on a house and you finish the house and there's that sense of satisfaction, accomplishment. But it lasts for a few seconds and you realize, I've got to put stuff in the house. And then once I put the stuff in the house, I've got to clean the house. And it's not going to stay clean. Because it never ends. And there's endless pursuit of work. Look at verse number 18 again. Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Look, Solomon hated life for this reason. He hated wealth because, first of all, you cannot keep wealth. Probably blew some of you away. You cannot keep wealth. You can't take all your wealth with you. It's just going to go on the ground. There's an old Jewish proverb that says, there are no pockets in shrouds. Money is a medium of exchange. Unless it is spent, it can do little or nothing for you because you can't eat money. I mean, you could, but it's not going to bring satisfaction. But you can use it to buy food. It will not warm you, but you can purchase fuel with, fuel with it. A writer in the Wall Street Journal several years ago called money an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except for heaven. And a universal provider of anything and everything except for happiness. Just because you have more money doesn't mean you're happy. Just because you have all the money in the world doesn't mean you can buy a ticket into heaven. That's not how you get saved. That's not how you go to heaven. And so even though we cannot keep it, we're still supposed to be stewards of the wealth that God has given us. Because God is the provider. God is the owner. And we have the privilege to enjoy the wealth that he has given us for his glory. To Advance his kingdom. That's why we have church, and that's why we take up offerings to try to advance his kingdom. Because really, you store up for yourselves, it's meaningless because you can't keep it. He continues on, verse number 19. You can't protect it. Verse number 19. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also a vanity. Therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair. You ever had sleepless nights because of money? Anybody? All right. Three of us have. 
You have sleepless nights because you need more money, or you have too much, or whatever. Then I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. You can't keep it, you can't protect it. You know, it's bad enough that we have to leave our wealth behind. But it's even worse that we leave it behind to someone who's probably going to waste it. Think about that. I heard Tommy Nelson, he said this about work. No matter how hard you work, you got to leave your money to your kids, and most of them will just look. And he said that because statistics state that in 60% of cases, inherited wealth is completely gone by the end of the second generation. So, Pastor, you're saying I shouldn't leave anything to my kids? No, it's not what I'm saying. But you can't protect your wealth. Once you're gone, you have no say over it. People try to protect it as much as they can and have stipulations, but once they're gone, they're gone. Even in Solomon's case, Solomon had a lot of stuff. His wealth was left to his son Rehoboam, but you know within a few years, all of his wealth was gone? Because an army came in and raided Rehoboam. Talks about that in 1 Kings chapter 14. And took everything that Solomon had worked for. He didn't know that. But he knew that you can't protect it. He knew that it was meaningless. Another thing it does is this. Verse 21. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom, and in knowledge and in equity. And to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and great evil. For what man hath all his labor of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest, in the night, this also is vanity. You see, vanity also cheats you out of rest. You can't even enjoy rest because you spend so many sleepless nights worrying about it. And I've been there. There have been times where I haven't slept because i got more bills to pay. The bills keep adding up. So Solomon says, what? what's it matter? Even this pursuit of work is meaningless. And what he's saying in these first 23 verses, we're almost done, but nothing is ultimately gained. All of Solomon's experiments failed. But then his tone changes in verse 24. There is nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can Hasten thereunto more than I. For God give it to a man that is good in the sight of wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he give it travail. To gather and to keep up, that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of the Spirit. Here's what Solomon is introducing as we continue on in the next several studies. Without God, life is impossible. Without God, life is impossible. Solomon is no longer going to be advocating this mantra of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, because that's the idea of the attitude of fatalism, not of faith. And here's the central truth of this message this morning that it's drawing us to. Apart from Jesus, there is no enjoyment. Apart from Jesus, there is no satisfaction in life. Go ahead, don't listen to me. Who am I? What do I know? I know nothing. Solomon knows a lot more than we do, and he says, I've tried it all. It's pointless. There is no enjoyment. There is no satisfaction. So go ahead and don't listen to me, and go ahead and chase after wine. 
Chase after alcohol. Chase after entertainment. Chase after your work. Chase after your hobbies. Chase after your acquisitions. And tell me where it gets you. It's going to leave you more destructive. More devastating. Because it does not satisfy. It does not bring enjoyment. It does not bring fulfillment. Nothing does apart from Jesus Christ. And apart from relationship with Him. You see, life under the sun is meaningless, but life lived above the sun in eyes of Jesus Christ is where we find meaning. You see, in Christ, we are satisfied. We spent most of this year on Wednesday nights in the book of Ephesians. And we've been talking about what we have in Christ Jesus. If you're saved today, if you're a child of God, in Christ, you have far more than the world. You have far greater riches at your disposal, but yet we choose to ignore those riches, ignore those blessings, and choose to follow after these meaningless, empty, worthless truths that are going to be destroyed one day in a fire. Man, this is worth something. Look at my collection. This is awesome. Hey, I got the Polo Award. Who cares? Should I not do that? No, it's not what I'm saying. But life apart from Christ is not going to bring satisfaction. C.S. Lewis said this, Our problem is not that we desire too much. This is good. Our problem is not that we desire too much. Our problem is that we desire too little. Our problem is not that we desire too much. It's that we desire too little. Too little of a relationship with Jesus. Too little of a walk with Christ. Well, I'll go to church when I feel like it's necessary, but, you know, I'm not going to go the other times because it's not really that important. Well, you tell me how your life works out that way. You tell me how your life works out when you're always working and never have time with your family. Tell me how your life works out. Tell me how your family's going to work out. It's not. Solomon is living proof of that. You see, in Christ, we are satisfied. Psalm 1611, thou wilt show me the path of life. You know what the path of life is? What purpose in life is? It's being in the presence of Jesus. In the presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, these are the pleasures that last forever. If you want temporary satisfaction, then follow the world. Go ahead. I'm giving you free reign to follow the world, but it'll only bring you temporary satisfaction. But if you want eternal Life-changing satisfaction and give your life to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4. Or Ephesians chapter 2 where he says, And you have to be quickened, you have to be made alive. The word dead. And your trespasses and sin. You see, all of us apart from Christ are dead. We're walking zombies in a sense. And if you want to live a meaningless life, then go ahead and live it without Jesus. But if I come to church, Pastor, what more do you want? I want you to give your life, all of it, to Christ. You saying I shouldn't work? No, you have to work. Work is important to take care of yourself, to take care of your family. But that's not the end all be all. Who cares if you've amassed this great wealth for yourself that you're never going to spend and that your kids are probably just going to blow? Who cares if you've done all that? If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, because one day you and I are going to stand and give an account to Jesus Christ with every action we've ever done. So why are we chasing after meaningless, temporary satisfaction instead of chasing after things that are eternal? Instead of trying to go and witness to the lost and encourage someone to be saved. Hey, God loves you. He died for you. That's meaningful. 
You shouldn't say, I shouldn't play golf. No, it's not what I'm saying, but in the scheme of things, that's meaningless. In the scheme of things, a new car, a new truck, that phone with 46 cameras, only to find it has three, is meaningless. It's meaningless. It's purposeless. And here's the core truth of this message and these lessons so far. Everything is meaningless without Jesus. Jesus, though, leads to a meaningful, thriving life. So live life satisfied with Jesus. Well, I am. I am satisfied, aren't you? Let's look at your bank statement. Let's look at what you're truly pursuing after. You're saying, I always have to be reading my Bible 24 hours a day. No, no, no. But you should always be walking with your Savior, having a close walk with Him. Are you saying that I shouldn't do anything and have fun? No, that's not what I'm saying. Look, you can have so much joy and contentment in the Christian life if you first and foremost have Jesus as the preeminent one in your life. Not just the prominent one. And my life is living testimony of that because I've found satisfaction in my life when I put Jesus first and foremost. And I can still enjoy pleasures of this world in the right setting. But when I put the pleasures of this world first and foremost, I found my life so empty. So meaningless. And Solomon had it all, yet he said it's nothing. So I want to encourage you this morning. Live life satisfied with Jesus. Are you satisfied with Jesus? I've said it before, but if he were to take everything away from you, is he still enough? Everything was taken from Job. His friends, his family, again, just, just cursed God, just died, but blessed be the name of the Lord. God gives, God takes away, but God is still good. No matter what has happened in our life, God is still good. I'm here to tell you that. We might not understand it, and there's things that we will never understand, but it does not take away from God's goodness. Amen. You want a meaningful life, and you have to put Jesus first. And over the next several weeks, as we get to chapter 3 on, we're going to unlock some very practical principles that will help us live a meaningful life instead of a meaningless life.